message this morning is Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's striking that the believer's behavior after they received the Holy Spirit made some of the people in Jerusalem think that they were drunk with new wine. It would appear that the mockers didn't hear the sound of the rushing wind or see that the divided tongues as a fire that landed on each of them. What made them think that the disciples of Jesus were drunk? Was it because these simple Galileans were acting with uncharacteristic boldness? Was it because they hadn't learnt from the other foreign Jews in the city that the disciples weren't talking gibberish, but were actually talking in different languages? In the context of the amazement of the Jews who had come from other countries, Peter and the apostles barely touch on the accusation of drunkenness. You could see that in verse 15. They said it's, it's 9 o'clock in the morning after all. And then he quickly moved on to explain the true cause of all that they were seeing before their eyes. As he had done on previous occasions, once again Peter turned to the scriptures to explain the divine work that we read about in Acts 2 verse 4. The church was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance because the word of God spoken to the church through the prophet Joel was being fulfilled before their very eyes. And as we look at Joel through our New Testament eyes, we are able to see the many different ways that Pentecost changes things for Christ's church. And I preach to you the gospel under the following theme. God fulfilled his promise through Joel by pouring out his spirit on his church. We will see then that we all have the Holy Spirit. We are all equipped to prophesy, and we are in the last days. The passage we read in Numbers 11 reveals that the Jews would have understood the concept of the Spirit of God resting on God's people. The anointing of prophets, priests, and kings involved the outpouring of oil that symbolized God's special presence with those leaders. That's why Psalm 51, verse 11, and Psalm 143, verse 10, 
speak of the Holy Spirit being with the king and leading him on level ground. However, what Peter and the apostles saw on Pentecost Day was not the same as the regular anointing of office bearers that was common in the Old Testament before Pentecost. You see, in that upper room, it was not just the apostles who were filled with the Holy Spirit, but there were many who had many people who were with them who also received the Spirit. This major development in, in, in how God is present among his people after Christ's ascension is the first theme that Peter shares in his sermon with, with, with the people. His very choice of Joel chapter 2, rather than an Old Testament text that described the anointing of a priest or a king, reveals that he wanted the people to understand that something new was happening right there before their eyes on that Pentecost Sunday. The new thing promised by God through the prophet Joel was that Moses was exactly what Moses had prayed for in Numbers 11 when the Spirit rested on the 70 elders and they prophesied for a little while but then no more. Although this was a wonderful gift, Moses noticed that the two men who were still prophesying in the camp only served to show how few people had actually received the gift. And so in Numbers 11, verse 29, Moses had prayed, Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. In Joel 2, this is exactly what the Lord promised would happen. After describing the coming day of the Lord in Joel chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, and calling God's people to sincere repentance, the Lord promised to return to dwell in the midst of his people. And after that, he would pour out his spirit upon his church. Not just the office bearers, but upon all flesh. And in this promise of the, the pouring out of this spirit on all the Lord's people that Peter remembers on Pentecost Day. As he heard all those people declaring the marvelous acts of God as the Spirit gave them utterance, he knew that this is what the Lord had promised through his prophet Joel. The new thing for the church after Christ's ascension is that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all kinds of people and not just a few of the office bearers. And as you take a look at the kinds of people mentioned in Joel chapter 2 and, and that Peter repeats in Acts 2 verse 17, you can see that it includes men and women of different ages and of different social statuses. Joel talks about your sons and daughters, young and old men, male and female servants. The blessing of Pentecost is that everyone who repents and is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, as we can read in Acts 2, verse 38. As Paul says in Galatians 3, verses 27 to 28, 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Every believer has been given the Holy Spirit who dwells in our bodies as his temple. Men and women are heirs together of the grace of life, says Peter in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. The Lord Jesus is the master both of both servants and their earthly masters, and there is no partiality with our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a denial of Pentecost and the work of Jesus Christ to separate any group within the body of Christ as being more or less filled with the Spirit than any other group. The Holy Spirit deals equally in every believer as his temple. And that is very important to keep in our minds as we do our work as Christ's church. How do we show that we truly believe that every Christian among us has the Holy Spirit. The most simple person you may meet in a small town in a faraway country has the Spirit as much as you are so sophisticated here in in North America. The different roles that men and women, young and old, employers and employees have in our families, in our churches, and in the world have no impact on the status of the believer before God or on our ability to fully worship Him as our Lord and Savior. Every one of us, brothers and sisters, is equipped by God Himself to study the Scriptures, to fight against sin and our sinful nature, to grow in our faith, to give godly counsel, to encourage one another in the truth, Indeed, as Moses prayed and Joel prophesied, everyone is equipped by the Holy Spirit to prophesy. We are equipped to prophesy. Having chosen a text that emphasizes that God was pouring out His Spirit on all flesh, the second theme or the the major point that Peter makes is about what those believers with the Spirit are now able to do. And Joel's prophecy, again referred to by by Peter in Acts 2, verses 17 and 18, uses the verbs prophesy, see visions, and dream dreams, which are all terms that are closely linked in the Old Testament to the specially called and ordained prophets in the land from Samuel the seer to Daniel the dreamer. The task of of serving as the mouthpiece of God among the church was a very specific and unique task. When Joel applied the task that was unique to prophets, now to everyone in the church, he was pointing forward to something that would be completely new. You could say something unheard of in the Old Testament. 
Peter makes it clear that this is the important change that must be taken note of when he inserts in verse, the end of verse 18, he adds the words, and you can compare to Joel's prophecy, he inserts, and they shall prophesy. Joel's prophecy explains what the people were seeing and hearing on that Pentecost day. Men and women of different ages and different social classes were prophesying. Peter himself was prophesying at that very moment. And you'll notice a great change had taken place. For although at Christmas and Easter and Ascension Day, the Lord sent heavenly messengers, the Lord sent heavenly messengers to interpret what was taking place on Pentecost, the Lord revealed the truth through his apostles, through the believers who were interpreting the scriptures authoritatively. The word of God spoken through the mouth of the prophet on earth was replaced with written and inspired scriptures. Heavenly messengers, those, those men that kept showing up in their, in their white robes, those, those heavenly angels, they served as interpreters and they gave reminders of what God had said before. But now they were replaced with God himself, the Holy Spirit, guiding his church through the interpretation of God's own word. Pentecost meant that the Lord who had spoken from the outside to the heart through the law and the prophets now moved himself to the inner parts of believers and wrote the truth on our very hearts. Peter was equipped by the Holy Spirit within him to faithfully interpret the divine work of God on Pentecost. And he assures God's people that when God's Holy Spirit is poured out upon us, we too can do the work of a prophet. In the church, prophesying is not the limited task of just a few of us. Prophesying is not the limited task of just a few of us. And as we come to grips with this statement, we need to understand that the word prophesy, when we say the word prophesy, we're not thinking of some kind of mystical fortune-telling, but of the prophesying that was actually evident there on Pentecost Day. Peter could have been pointing to himself as an example of this new work of God. Looking at Peter, we see that prophesying after Pentecost means being led by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the fulfillment of Old Testament promises in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When God's people prophesy, they announce the facts of Jesus Christ's work. They point to the risen and ascended Christ as the only one who can save us from our sins and bring us to peace with God and fellowship with our neighbor. Peter could have also been pointing to all those other people who were with him and had received the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And looking at them, we see that with the word prophesying, that prophesying that God had promised through the prophet Joel, after the Holy Spirit was poured out, it means declaring the marvelous acts 
of God. You can read how, how they did that. And the multitude came together and they heard the mighty works of God in our own tongues. That's in Acts 2, verse 11. After Pentecost, every believer is equipped to know and to speak about the mighty acts of the triune God. For we are today guardians of the truth about all God's complete redemptive work, which the Holy Spirit gives to us in the Scriptures. When we sing the Psalms and the hymns, we are, in fact, taking part in that work of prophesying. The same Spirit enlightens our minds so that we, male and female, of all different ages and social classes, can understand the Word. We can communicate the Gospel to everyone around us by our actions, by our words, and by our attitudes. Jesus had commanded the church to make disciples of all nations, by proclaiming the truth of the gospel in many tribes and languages in the world. That was that great commission that he gave just before he ascended into heaven. And then Jesus Christ equipped his church with the Holy Spirit so that this could be done. It's not surprising then that when we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism what it means to be Christian and to share in Christ's anointing, we state that he equips us so that we as prophets may confess his name. And as the kingdom advances, we are able to see the manifestation of that promised power from on high among us by our desire, by our ability to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ with our children, with our families, with our neighbors, with our colleagues, and even in some cases with complete strangers. When you do this, whether you are male or female, rich or poor, young or old, ordained or not, you are seeing the fruit of Pentecost that the Lord Jesus had promised through his prophet Joel. The Holy Spirit equips us to prophesy and also reveals the urgency of our task by making it clear that we are in the last days. Once again, if you compare Joel's prophecy in the Old Testament with Peter's reference to this passage on Pentecost Sunday, you will notice another change. For Peter replaced the word afterwards that Joel used with the words in the last days. Peter understood that the history of God's redemptive work had moved forward since Joel had served as a prophet. And the future that Joel had been speaking of was being fulfilled before their eyes on that very day. Joel had characterized this period of the last days as a time of cosmic, world-affecting upheaval. He spoke of wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood. And although we today often quickly put this kind of language, this language of cosmic signs, and, and we call it just some more of that prophet talk that may only come true sometime in the future when the Lord returns to destroy the world, Peter 
purposefully included these words in a sermon on Pentecost. And he must have surprised the hearers when he explains that this prophecy has even seen its initial fulfillment in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. If you look at Acts 2, verse 22, you can see that he makes this reference. And perhaps Peter was thinking of the miracles of our Lord Jesus, the healings, the calming of the storm, the raising from the dead, the darkness in the middle of the day when Christ was on the cross, or even that sound they had just heard of of the wind and, and tongues as if of fire on the disciples' head. But whatever he was thinking of, it was very clear that Peter wanted the, the congregation, wanted the crowd to know that they were at that moment in the last days. And since the Holy Spirit was poured out by the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ from the right hand of his Father in heaven, like you can read about in Acts 2, verse 33, the presence of the Holy Spirit among us, among Christ's church, is proof for every one of us that Jesus Christ has been crucified but was victorious over sin and death and he truly is in heaven as Lord and Christ. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the last great saving act of God before he comes again on that great and magnificent day in Acts 2 verse 20. That word magnificent has a sense of awe-inspiring. The cosmic signs of his sovereign rule have been seen in Jesus' life, says the Apostle Peter. The shaking up of the world that God promised through the prophet Haggai in chapter 2, verses 4 to 9, can be witnessed today whether, wherever his gospel is being proclaimed. We are living in the last days, says Hebrews 1 verse 2, and filled with God's Spirit and equipped by God Himself, we must understand that we are living in the last days, to live each day as if it is our last day here on earth before the Lord returns. We feel then the sense of of urgency in our task. It makes us ask the question, how will you use your time this day, this hour, this week? When the crowd heard Peter's Pentecost speech, we read in Acts 2, verse 37, that they were cut to the heart. And they said, brothers, what shall we do? They felt the, the sense of these last day urgency. The Lord had spoken through the prophet Joel that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter holds this promise out to the the people who were cut to the heart, wondering what they should do. And Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And a few verses later he says, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. He calls his church to be led by the Spirit in their lives. The situation is urgent, but we do not need to be destroyed on that great and terrible day of judgment. 
For God is gracious and merciful. He shows himself coming to us in love. Already in Joel's day, in the midst of announcing this horrible disaster that would come upon the wicked and, and on that great and terrifying day of the Lord, the, the Lord was holding out his hands to his people. We read that together. He was calling his people to, to come to him in sincere repentance. He urged them to rend their hearts and not their garments, to come with, to him with broken and contrite hearts of godly sorrow. By, and he assured the world that he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. And so, brothers and sisters, we know this mercy, this grace, and this love that God has shown to us. The Lord God has poured out His Spirit on everyone who believes in Him so that we all might be assured and comforted and encouraged, that we may all speak of the marvelous, the mighty works of God, not just in the past, not just out there, but in our own hearts. Ever since past uh, Pentecost, we are in the last days before the coming of the Lord. And he has prepared you. He has prepared us, his church, for that wonderful day when we see his victory with our own eyes. He has prepared us to go to tell our neighbors, our friends, to call all men to repentance, to humbleness before the Lord. May the name of Christ our Lord truly be glorified by each one of us. Amen. We'll now sing in response hymn 47, stanzas 4 and 5.
שכונה 